0: Probably the the two most important things are the people and then the systems that the business relies on, to make sure it's independent of the owner, that it can function without that person.
1: Welcome to Long-Term Thinking for Business Success, a show for and by business owners. Each episode will explore how to beat the odds and create a sustainable business and the life we've dreamt of. Today's guest is Noel Scully from NEM Australasia, a company he started over 20 years ago with two colleagues. Hi Noel, welcome to the Long-Term Thinking for Business Success podcast and thank you for joining us today. Just to start things off and get our conversation going, can you tell us a little bit about NEM Australasia? What's the change you want to make or to put that another way, what's the vision you're trying to deliver for your clients and who do you hope to help?
0: Thanks, Rick. Mostly we're trying to make businesses get to where they want to be faster than they could on their own. That means helping private business owners accelerate the performance of their business to get their outcomes. So our typical market is what people would loosely call SMEs that range in size from sort of two to 200 million, um, usually family owned, but not always. We go and help them achieve what they want to achieve.
1: For our business, it's quite different. (laughs) So what we want to achieve is quite different to that. So just before we get into what you want to achieve for NEM Australasia, so people are a bit more clear, what's the what's the type of activity or work you then do for the business owners you work with? And yeah, most of it's probably
0: loosely described as coaching and mentoring. Consulting is a, is a hard word to use, drawing the best out of them and getting the best out of their business. So applying best practice to their particular circumstance. It might be something in sales and marketing, might be something to do with people, maybe general strategy but not all the time.
1: And do you work in specific sectors or markets?
0: No, it's really general because the work comes from referral. We'll basically go anywhere that's important to the referrer. The type of business doesn't matter so much because the owner is usually the expert in that business and their issue needs something else.
1: You mentioned earlier that your vision for NEM is quite different. What's your vision for NEM and can you talk us through that a little bit?
0: Well, we really wanted to be the largest boutique advisory firm in the country probably pretty close to that we want to grow a bit more obviously and be recognized as that that takes a bit of effort and it's going to take a number of years it's taken a while to get where we are now and i think it's time to
1: accelerate how long ago did you form them so you mentioned it's still going to take a number of years but i know you've been in business for a while so can you tell us a little about the the backstory and when you started and what you got into it
0: it is ancient uh, we started in 2001 so it's now 21 years this month. It's quite different now to what it was then. Originally, there were three of us who were all ex-corporates. who wanted to go do our own thing and help other businesses. We then opened it up to bring other people in, which we've progressively done over the years. I suppose we've got what a lot of other businesses have. You know, We've had a few stages where we've done okay, then had some setback, had to regroup and refocus. And I think we're in another one of those now we're really clear about where we want to go now. We're clear about the right type of people to have on board. We know what we need to do with clients. That bit's not hard. You know, we're at the point of, I think, genuine focus.
1: Fantastic. We'll come back to those setbacks for sure. And I also want to dive later on back into the the referral and how that drives your business. Coming off that, as, as I'm sure, when you think back over your experience as a business owner, there's, as you mentioned, there's been lots of setbacks, but I imagine there's lots of things you're really proud of. Could you think about and tell us a bit about what you're most proud of and why.
0: I think the client successes uh, by far. So when you deal with somebody in our environment, you're dealing with an owner, you're dealing with a person. The relationship side of it is really important and incredibly rewarding when you see people achieve what they want to achieve and you've played some small part in that. That's really rewarding. You get to see some great stuff. You get to see great businesses. And you you get to see some people grow. Some people have gone on and done other things after they've been with us. That's actually quite good as well. They wanted to achieve something else. And we've been a stepping stone to them doing something better for themselves.
1: Fantastic. Is there a specific client story that jumps to mind in terms of uh, the success you've helped them to create that you're really proud of?
0: Wow, that's really hard. (laughs) That's really hard. It's hard to talk about private businesses because they're private. We've, there's been a few where we have positioned people for exit. They needed the business to be knocked into shape and to be set up that someone else would buy it. Uh, we saw one of those that sold for a silly amount of money and the owner was able to retire really comfortably. You know That was awesome. We had multiple people on our side involved in it. Our MD had some shares. Um, that turned out well for him. You know That was a really good thing to to see happen when people were critical that the business wasn't prepared for sale, that it wouldn't get a decent multiple. And in fact, it got an above market multiple and it sold really quickly to a very good offshore buyer.
1: And that's fantastic. Yeah. The, that personal success of, of creating well, what I hope was in the, the financial and possibly emotional freedom of a business owner is we work in a similar space and it's very rewarding when you you see the success of the companies that we get to, work with and the the honor we have to work with them just to drill a little bit further because it's i'm sure an interesting topic to the to the listeners when you say prepare a business for for sale what a a knock it into shape was the language you use what are a couple of key things that you would be focusing on to to achieve that objective probably
0: the the two most important things are the people and then the systems that the business relies on to make sure it's independent of the owner that it can function without that person, which is pretty difficult for a business owner because it's like a child, <laughs> probably more important to some. Getting the right people underneath, so having a structure that works as a standalone enterprise that someone else can buy and having the methods within the business where things just happen routinely and don't rely on strong human intervention all the time. So they're probably the big things. Good track record, obviously. Upside. You know that there is potential for someone to come in and put their mark on it and take it to a different level. So the most common things we see are getting the right management team in place and ensuring the systems and process actually work.
1: Cool. That's great. We'll come back to that systems and processes for sure. One of the things that we work really hard to do, and again, we work in a similar industry or at least with business owners, is trying to get inside the head of the owner and the leadership team, and often it's the, a mindset game around the value that marketing can bring to the business or the value that, in I expect in your case, systems and processes can, can bring to their business. Do you find that, that that is half of your battle or more than half of your battle is actually winning the hearts and minds of the leadership team to drive the program of change you're trying to take them through?
0: I think the key that we've, how we've done that is to do small bits at a time. So to do a very small piece of work, sometimes even for free up front, where we demonstrate some value and where we can take them on a journey where they see that if they make certain changes, they will obviously get a better outcome. And then to be able to quantify that. So to sit with them and say, hey, if we did these one, two, three things. You know, you may generate this much more profit. It may be ready for sale. It might be ready to transition to family. Whatever their issue is, if we can take them step by step, then the value thing seems to sort itself out only if we do what we say we're going to do.
1: Well, that is always a key thing for a, a service provider is to deliver the promise that we've created in their mind to do. Thinking broadly and given the breadth of your experience, obviously across multiple industries and multiple businesses and on a personal level with NEM, what are some of the key lessons you've learned that have helped you build the sustainable success for NEM? You've been going for 21 years and sounds like you've got plans for the future as well. So what are some of the things that you've learned that have helped NEM create your sustainable success? I suppose
0: internally and externally, and quickly internally, myself and a fellow director, John, having a close relationship with him uh, is really important. We are also quite opposite in how we approach things. Commercially, John looks at things differently to me. I'm probably much harsher on some aspects, and he's more generous. And then we flip from time to time. So we sort of yin and yang, and that's been, that's been really important over the years. But we always agree which way we're going, and we back each other up. Internally, that's been really important. Externally, the relationship stuff is just absolutely the key. So long-standing relationships that you nurture those relationships. That's been probably my biggest lesson to keep doing that and not undervalue any of them. And it shouldn't be about what's in it for you, it should be about what's in it for them. So catching up with people regularly, always trying to do something that will help them.
1: Are there activities that you do every day, every week, every month to build the relationship you have with John and then again, the same thing. Are there activities that you would do to ensure you're maintaining close relationships with your, your clients and prospects? Let's start with the internal again.
0: Well, the internals is quite straightforward. We would have regular meetings at least once a week and we have a board of management meeting once a month. And there's prep work in and around that. When I'm physically here, we obviously socialise as well, so my night times will not be spent in a hotel room. They'll be in a restaurant or a bar somewhere, and that works. We get to relax. We get to catch up with each other. I get to see John and his family as well. So, and they, and when they come north, they do the same thing. So that works.
1: It sounds like there's there's a level of formality. Obviously, the the board management meetings, as you said, there's papers to prepare for that, so that's definitely a formal meeting. Is the the weekly meeting also a, a structured Organised meeting, or it's a, a fixed time in your diary, so you know you'll catch up. But the the meetings can be quite different week to week. And then on a the third level, I assume the the daily catch ups are whatever's the most pressing issue of the day. So what's 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 structured or organised within the the three levels of catch ups? Yeah, the monthly meetings are definitely structured
0: and follows a set format with set attendees. The weekly one is more casual and it's meant to be a group get together. So It's not just the two of us, it's everybody else and people sharing experiences, what's on, what's not on, or we might pick a special topic. Then the day-to-day stuff, which tends to be one-on-one between John and myself, um, usually it's the end of the day, but sometimes it's the beginning of the day. And then if an issue pops up, you know, we might quickly jump on Zoom or Teams um, just so we can actually see each other and talk something through. So that's on demand. You know, if, if one of us rings the other and can't speak at that point, you know, we always ring each other back promptly, all that stuff. It's all those simple things.
1: It's always lots of little simple things that add up to a significant effort or change. And then if you then take the same question externally, are there techniques or activities that you you religiously follow to ensure you're maintaining your relationships with your, your clients and prospects?
0: I suppose with the referral network, is that's where I spend most of my time. And I would try and structure my month around how many times am I going to try and see people. It's usually once or twice a month for key referral partners. And at every meeting I'm trying to schedule forward, what's the next thing we need to do and get some agreement on that. Usually that's around a project that's gonna make sense to them, obviously. Um, it doesn't have to be work though. For example, last night I went out to dinner with someone. Um, that's, that was my catch up for, the, you know, for a three week period. So three hours, and it was awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. A lot of fun, um, no doubt. I said I'd come back to, given you've now mentioned referral a second time, often when we think about referral, we, we think about how a current client could refer us to somebody else. It sounds like you're talking about more of a formalized or referral network and partners that drive referral to you. Can you just explain a little bit more about what you mean by referral and how how that method of lead generation works for Nem?
0: Yeah, sure. We based the whole business model on referral, just knowing it was really hard to start a coaching or consulting business any other way. So, we needed to be referred by someone with the potential client trusts, and we initially set out to build relationships with professional services providers, typically accountants, and secondly, we were looking at the business banking network. Um, that's in days gone by. That network just doesn't really add any value at the moment. The bank The banks have changed too much. Businesses like accountants or you know more general professional service providers don't do what we do. If we can build trust with those people and get an opportunity to have a discussion with a client, then we have an opportunity to pursue a relationship to a level where It may be mutually commercially advantageous.
1: I spend a lot of my time building those relationships. When you work with an accountant that refers an opportunity to you, is there often, if not a a formal kickback, but is there often the project that you do for the client will then deliver work back to the accounting firm? So there there definitely is a a value opportunity for the referrer?
0: Um, Absolutely. Almost always. And most firms don't want a method of payment. They need to disclose it anyway. Um, They're not in it for a cut of the fees. Some have been over years. They tend to be the relationships that don't last. Most are interested in helping their client. And when we go down that path, what we invariably um, uncover is they need more help from their professional services advisor. And we don't want to do that work. So it goes back to them. The only other instance that we've seen quite frequently is when we go out and have a chat, we uncover information that firm wasn't aware of. The client could be considering leaving, for example, because of an issue, and they're prepared to tell us, we are then able to save the relationship, or at least attempt to save the relationship. And that's happened a number of times this year, which, is, um, which has been really interesting.
1: That would be interesting, especially for the, the referring accounting firm to then understand what went wrong and then fix the relationship and use that insight in other parts of their business
0: particularly when it's a surprise to them. They think everything's going along swimmingly, and of course it's not. We're able to then facilitate another discussion going, you know, that's not what's happening within that firm. We know know, they're capable of doing whatever it is there is an issue. We find a way around it usually.
1: Thank you for that. Just to go uh, quite a different direction now, running a business, especially an SME, requires resilience. How have you developed the mental muscle to drive changes in your role and the business? And what do you do to remain resilient every day? Wow, geez, that's a big
0: question. Staying positive, having someone else to talk to is really important. The fact that John and I are on two different planets almost and look at things quite differently really helps. If one of us highlights an issue or we have a particular problem, that we can talk it through and try and find a way out of it. We have, over the years, found ways out of you know lots of sticky situations. Personally, for me, it's about trying to do something outside of work. About 10 years ago, I started going to a boxing gym. I'm not a boxer. It's lots of fun and you meet other people. It's a different network. You talk different stuff. The physical activity helps heaps to keep your mind in check and stop the anxiety.
1: Yes, it's a question I ask lots of business owners and exercise and eating well is, is a really common response to that.
0: Yeah, looking after yourself
1: is important. Just to go back, you mentioned that one of the areas that you... Or pieces of work that you do for your clients in terms of building up their businesses is relating to systems and processes, and that again is one of the most common answers to why that I received to why a business has been successful over the time. I'm assuming you'd agree with that. Again, I'll answer. I'll ask the question in two ways. One, do you see a common system or process that you implement in many of your clients? So, do they? Are, is it really a common starting point around systems and processes? And then on the other side of the coin, as a business owner trying to grow and manage NEM, what is one system or process that you've embedded into NEM that has had a significant impact and what that impact was? So let's start that question just to reiterate. Is there a common system or process that you would recommend to your clients that that they start their improvement journey? Not
0: really, because most businesses are different. Yes, the systems can look similar but they need to be personalized to that particular enterprise. Mostly it's about what's a routine task that you can make sure happens the same way every time so that the customer experience is the same, the staff experience is the same. What are those tasks that you can look at and go what's the best way to do this and engage with the people doing it obviously? how can you make it repeatable where it just keeps happening time and time again? Um, on our side, the front end piece making the process around network engagement, relationship building, and client engagement, making that process the same, following, obviously the questions are different, like in your environment in this interview, following a process where you step through and ask a number of questions, you deal with it a certain way. Getting consistency with that approach has probably had the biggest outcome.
1: Excellent. So you started that with, there's one on the front end of your systems in terms of managing relationships, and then ended with, the the engagement from a work process and identification if we just step back and you to your answer earlier about the methodology and process you do to manage your referral network is that another system that you've embedded in the organization so there are other people doing that or do, is that a system that you've developed for predominantly you and john
0: No, we developed it for the firm. And so when people join the business, we go away for a few days and go through an initial introduction to that process. Then we buddy up with them, usually John, myself, or one of the other longer-term partners. And we do meetings with them, et cetera, to make sure they get a thorough understanding of the process, they get confidence to do it themselves. And we call it a value encounter. And that's our internal methodology and yes, it's a documented process. We have a training process around it. We have regular discussions at our weekly meetings about what's happened in meetings that week, and we are continually refining that process.
1: Again, it's the the common theme that we see is that the business owners are so heavily involved in the sales and marketing activities of the business that that's where they, if they're trying to either get the business ready for sale or just change their relationship with the business, our job is to try to extract them out of what initially marketing for us, but the the quicker we can get them out of those day-to-day components of the business, the, the more capability we have to build the business to run on its own. And this question goes back to your comment around setbacks and changes the business has had to deal with. And again, in creating a sustainable company, a company that has the potential to last decades or generations, the role of the founder, or in your case, founders, continually changes. What have been the most significant change in your role? And were these intentional changes you made, or were they driven by specific circumstances that forced the change through? Wow. Yeah, look, it's mixed. Um- as every business owner will have
0: that issue, right, that no one does it as well as you. Uh, We try and get as many people proficient as possible. I think one of the common statistics you'll see across lots of businesses is you've got 5 to 10% of people who do stuff extraordinarily well at the front end from a business development type point of view. You've got a mass in the middle that are okay at it and you've got a little tail down the end that really it's not their bag. So we're probably no different.
1: It's a great attitude and it's definitely something that we focus on as well, but it can be quite challenging to really identify values within some sort of interview process, even if that is a a multiple stage process. You don't know somebody till you actually start working day to day with them. Can you talk us through the process at the start of an interview and very beginning of that relationship that you use to try to identify where there's a value alignment?
0: Probably the most significance goes back to recruitment. Where we've had issues in the past is where people might leave and take clients with them, for example. And we had a substantial loss of the client base before COVID, which was a, a life-threatening moment for the business. And we had to have a really hard look about what do we need to change. When we're recruiting people, we're looking for a certain type of people. You know, there's, there's contracts and all that stuff. But underneath all that, you're looking for a value alignment. And probably that would be the most significant change we've made in the last 10 years was to align values of the firm with the values of incoming people and being really strict about that, that if they don't meet our value set, they can meet the experience and capability set. But if they don't meet our value set, then we shouldn't allow them to join the business.
1: I think that's a really interesting insight. The the exposure of that of the candidate to other people in the business gives the candidate a good understanding of who NEM is, but also gives your colleagues a, a different way to explore the values of that of the candidate coming in. So that's a really interesting perspective. As a follow-up to to understanding the interview process, are there any favorite questions that you like to use to explore a value?
0: We'll go through a fairly standard interview process. Well, one of our fairly standard will go through their background experiences, delve into it, um, talk about their network, other environments. Multiple people here will talk to the same party um, and we will get feedback from you know, half a dozen people, maybe. And then we'll critique where they're at. We've been recruiting this business for you know, 19 of the 21 years. It's, um, we've got a little bit better at that over the years. We've refined that process. It's probably not well documented, Rick. Thanks very much. It's a system we follow, but it's probably John and I making sure we get the initial process right and then having other people go and meet in a casual environment typically and find out what that person's like. Um, We look for their experience. What have they done that validates? If we know They need to be reasonably strong in relationships. We would want to explore some of their prior business relationships. Typically, because the world's so small, we'll probably have a connection. We can validate externally, but also a lot of the times the questions they ask, as well as their answers, you know, who's doing most of the talking, tells us a lot. And in this environment, we have to listen a lot more than we speak. So if someone is naturally inquisitive and shuts up and listens to the answer and you can demonstrate that they're listening, that gives us enormous insight into how they conduct themselves. So little tricks like that have worked really well.
1: That's great. Again, thinking long term, what's the next key strategic initiative that you're implementing to continue your success? And what do you hope that that initiative will achieve?
0: Referrals are the key to the business. And developing long-term referral relationships has always been important to us. Most have relied on our staff developing relationships with their networks. But the biggest change we've done in the last few years is to do some for the firm. So it's not linked to an individual partner. It probably means it's mainly linked to me or John. So we are developing referral relationships now that we hope to embed ourselves in. And by that, I mean we... May even have joint ownership. That's a quite different strategic outcome. Where if we link to a larger professional services provider that doesn't do what we do, and we become that resource, and likewise we develop their business because we know how to do that, and they don't have that capability. So if we can embed or we'll have a an embedded referral partner, that changes the game for us dramatically. It's not about positioning us for sale, which I now I know sounds totally against what we would say to other businesses. But we want to be positioned for sale. We're not necessarily looking for one. And having that sort of embedded relationship with someone creates the opportunity for liquidity of of the business.
1: Right. Excellent. Thank you for that. Is long-term sustainability of your business, of NEM, Australasia, something you intentionally think about and discuss with your leadership team? And if it is something that you you share and discuss how frequently and how regularly do you visit the, the long-term plan versus the the quarter or 12-month plan?
0: We would talk about it in the formal monthly environment every month. It's on the agenda. We talk about it with the whole group, everybody, um, six-monthly when we get everyone together. John and I were talking about it before I walked in here. It is top of mind that we have to stay focused on where we're going strategically I will be giving him updates every month of where I think I am with the ones I have to do with my part of that plan. So we are quite frequently doing that. That is the massive change in the last few years. That is a focus. And we're not allowing ourselves to be distracted by some other stuff that doesn't really matter.
1: That's great. That dedication to continually revisiting it is is phenomenal. What sort of horizon are you you, you thinking about? So it's obviously longer than... Than the quarter and the twelve months, but vision-wise, how far how far forward are you you thinking and looking about?
0: Three to five, typically, so three to five years, and we're probably one and a bit in. So I've spent the whole year doing a sort of you know groundbreaking year, the hard work of getting some relationships just moving, being able to see people, you know, starting this year has made an enormous difference. Sure. Thanks, Rick.
1: Really well, appreciate it. Uh, Noel, uh, thank you again for your time today and for joining us. And I look forward to watching the continuing success of NAM Australasia and seeing you deliver your three to five year plan and, and catching up again in five years, looking back at how, how correct the delivery was to the original plan.